frame what we're about to hear. Let me just set up what we're about to think about by telling you uh, three very short stories about three people uh, called Michelle, uh, Daniel, and Carl. Uh, Michelle uh, visited a church that was very unlike the church she'd been attending for a very long time. The church she was visiting, uh, frankly, she hadn't heard great things about. Uh, But as Michelle came to that church more regularly, she saw how the people treated each other and thought, maybe I was wrong. Uh, And Michelle continued to go to that church and be nourished as part of the community. Uh, uh, Daniel uh, came to the... uh, What name did I give him? Sure. Let's call him Daniel for now. Came to the church on the recommendation uh, of a a friend, came from an atheist... uh, uh, skeptical backgrounds as a scientist, as a profession, uh, with a real reluctance to step even into a church. But as he came into the church, folding himself into the life of a few Sundays, saw how people were treating each other, thought, hmm, maybe this deserves another look, this whole Christianity thing. Uh, Carl, uh, for years and years and years, never even bothered about Christianity, not from a Christian home at all, never even worried about it, was invited along, uh, and over a period of time coming along to services, saw how people treated each other and thought, there might be something in this Christianity, and years down the track, decided to follow this Jesus and become a Christian. Uh, Those three people... Uh, that's not their real names, apart from the person I may have accidentally messed up in the middle there. Uh, But they are real people. Uh, And they are about a real church. Uh, And that church is this church. And the thing that held those three people in common was that they all described in conversations with me the word family. Family. When they saw on a Sunday, saw the life of the church and how people uh, got on and treated each other, they described it with this one word in common, separate conversation with the word family. And so before we have the Bible read this, was this evening, uh, I want us to think about this question. The church is like a family when? Can you complete that sentence? Maybe with the person sat next to you, 30 seconds. Uh, the church is like a family when? Go, 30 seconds on that. How do you complete that sentence? In a few moments, we're going to have uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, the first part of it read to us. And In it, uh, Paul, who's writing this letter to Timothy, starts by setting out some family relationships about the church. And uh, it's interesting that he even uses the family imagery in the first place whatsoever. When Paul is writing these instructions to Timothy of what the church should look like, how to organize God's household in waiting for Jesus' return, he he uses family imagery. He doesn't use uh, government imagery or, or boss hierarchy imagery. He uses family imagery, and as we have the Bible read for us in a moment, I wonder if you you had something along the lines of this. You may have had, uh, when we look after each other, when we welcome each other, when we show hospitality, uh, what we're going to see this evening is a church is like family when, I wonder if anybody got something like this, it cares for and values the vulnerable. 
The church is like a family when it cares for and values the vulnerable. When we, when we show love and, and real practical help and care and concern. When we, when we protect and provide for our most vulnerable uh, let me leave that there. We have the Bible read for us now. Julia's going to uh, come up and, uh, and read from 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you have an app or uh, a Bible, uh, please have that open. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Thanks, Julia. Good evening, everyone. Uh, yeah, so 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting at verse 1, and that's on page 1193, um, if you'd like to follow along in the church Bibles. Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters, with absolute purity. Give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family, and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead, even while she lives. Give the people these instructions so that no one may be open to blame. Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she is over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the Lord's people, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also busybodies, who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. Thank you, Julia. So, approximately a million things you could say about this passage, uh, but we're going to keep things simple and say, look, in a load of Paul's letters to the early church, he's concerned about how the church looks to the outsiders. Think of those three stories about three people we met a minute ago. Uh, he wants the, fa- the church to be like a family, and specifically in our passage tonight, that family uh, is to care for the vulnerable and value the vulnerable. We care for the vulnerable and, and value the vulnerable. So the first, we're going to take these in, in two sections this evening. And the first of which is this. The church is like a family when it cares for the vulnerable. When it cares for the vulnerable. So what is going on uh, with these widows? What is going on with these widows? At the time, if you're a freshly widowed widow, you were in probably the most vulnerable, one of the most vulnerable sections of society. 
there was no protection or provision for you. Uh, there was no government scheme. There was no benefit system. There was no life insurance. Uh, it, 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 you were uh, put into the adult entertainment industry, largely, and so were your children. Um, this was not a great place to be. You were wildly exposed. And so when the church was ex- instructed to reach out to and look after this vulnerable people group, the church really stood out. Uh, the st- church was attractive, but it really just did the right thing of what it should be doing and stood out within the culture that it was in. Now, you and I know that we have extremely vulnerable people in our society today. Uh, we, we have widows in our community. We have widows in our church family. Uh, thankfully, the situation is not as it was in the ancient world, but there are, there are people groups like that who are incredibly exposed. Uh, think of uh, perhaps uh, the refugees who have come to Bedford in recent months. Uh, think perhaps of... Uh, Domestic abuse victims who are still living in fear. Um, people with who, without whom any sort of uh, support and care, they're incredibly vulnerable without any protection or provision. Could we even go as far as to say, okay, and I understand it's a different kettle of fish, but, but for, for perhaps single mothers who have to make a decision between working or collecting their benefits because it's a tie-up as to which would pay them better. Is this, is this a people group who we are uh, giving any sort of protection and provision for, any sort of care for? And, and as we think about this word care, as Paul instructs the church to care for the most vulnerable in society, uh, this word care that comes up in verse 4 if a widow has children or grandchildren, these children uh, these should first uh, should lean first of all to put their religion in practice by caring for their own family. This word "caring," this sort of theme, this feel that we get through the whole of this passage, this isn't a kind of "ah, oh, you know, I, I I feel for you" kind of care. It's not my hearts and my thoughts and prayers go out to you kind of care. The the the, the Word caring is like a really, it's a practical outworking of a heartfelt care. It's a practical help. It's a practical protection and and provision. Interestingly, it was pointed out to me this week, as I was chewing over some of this stuff, that in the original language, the word caring also appears uh, in the description of the Good Samaritan. Uh, The parable that Jesus tells of the Good Samaritan who, who gives protection and provision in a practical way for the person in dire, dire need. That same word, it's not, oh, I feel for you, but it's a, it's a provision of, of protection and practical care. And so this, uh, as Paul asks the church to, to care for vulnerable people, this is kind of the model that he gives. Now, bear with me as we look at a couple of verses here. Verse 4 If a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn first of all to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents. This is pleasing to God. Skip to verse uh, 8, which says, Anyone who does not provide for their 
relatives, especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Yikes. And verse 16. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them, not let the church be burdened with them. I think the word burden there is slightly clumsy. I think that, that we think of the word burden as like an inconvenience, but here is a, a, a heartfelt care and carry, you know? I don't want to question the old NIV here, but if it was the NIG, it would say not burdened. There's this, there's this sense that, um, that actually this is the model that Paul wants us to look at in our care for vulnerable people. That actually in the middle of it is the family the immediate relatives of someone in need, followed by the wider church, uh, followed by the community. Uh, Tim Keller, American uh, pastor, author, uh, has written a, a great book on some of this stuff called Ministries of Mercy as a community outreach team, which um, Julia is part of, uh, which we meet once a month and, and deliver a lot of the different community care projects that we have. We meet once a month. We've been reading through a chapter of this book and Keller is really helpful and thoughtful about this model of if you, if you want to reach the needy in your community where you live, first start with your family. First start with the needs and the, the protection and provision of your people in your own family. Like, who do you want to care for? Start with those in, in family. Uh, perhaps flip that question and say, if you are in need, who do you want to be cared for by? Who do you want to be cared for by? And before you go to the, the church and the wider community, look first to the provision and protection in your own family. Keller says, before you look to reach the community, look to the needs of your own family. Before you look to the church and the community for help for yourself, look to your own family. And I think he is echoing this model that Paul has here, isn't he? For example, perhaps don't send your brother-in-law to the food bank on the Friday afternoon and then have a steak night on the Friday night. It's that sort of comparison that Paul wants us to have ownership over in the family. And to do that, uh, Paul is looking here at ways in which to do it in organized and organic ways. Organized and organic. We're going to spend just a little bit of time here, uh, but the, the organized and the organic are very, very close together in this passage. In a lot of Paul's instructions to how, how to run the early church, he he talks about the organized, he talks about the organic, but uniquely here, they're almost like interlinked. The, the, the church in Ephesus that he's writing to is, is growing. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and they need a bit of an organization. Uh, when you think about the kind of family uh, dynamics, uh, you, when you think of organ, organic and, and organized, think of that family vibe again. Uh, organic is when you, you visit people ad hoc. You drop in on a neighbour. Uh, with Ray and Jenny's new house, we ran, me and Joe ran 15 minutes across the old golf course and knocked on the door. I think you were out or asleep or busy, but we ran home. That's an ad hoc kind of organic visit. But there's also the organised family events, isn't there? There's the birthday parties or the family get-togethers that are all organised. Organic, 
and organized. There's, there's, there's playing football in the garden with your kids or grandkids, organic. There's also signing them up to a football club. There's uh, lend me a tenner, dad, organic, to dad, I need some help with a lump sum to pay the bills, and I'll pay you back, organized. There's kind of doing life together, isn't there? The organic doing life together with one another, and there's also the the organized structure to it. And this is what Paul ties neatly together here as he talks about caring for vulnerable people. And he kind of has to. Uh, Elsewhere in his writings, uh, the church has gone too organic, uh, no organizational structure, too organic, and he has to say, look, your, your widows aren't being fed, so get some structure. But he also says if you go too organized and rely only on the project's run by a church or a community, then we lose out on a bunch of family responsibility. It's a both and. And in this church, the way in which we aim to care for our vulnerable has to be that both and organic and organized. I've mentioned already the food bank and our CAP center, which is our debt counseling service. There is a sense that we as a church family walk side by side and, and do one another, uh, do, do life with one another and help each other where we can, where it's appropriate and where we can support each other. But there's also the organised. There is also the structures and systems in place to, to help our most vulnerable people. Thinking slightly more, more widely, uh, we have a, in our pastoral care of one another, our sort of family life care of each other. We have a home group structure, a home group system, which is that kind of, it is organized because there is a structure and system to it, but it's, it is also organic because it's people long-term doing life with each other, aware of each other's needs and able to provide some kind of practical care and help for one another. Organic. And organized, neatly tied together. I uh, think perhaps worth stopping and saying that that whole organic, organized thing is really in the fabric of all we do as a church. Uh, that not only is it in our uh, care for the vulnerable and our, our pastoral care, but it's organic and organized in our uh, evangelism. It's organic, and that we we hope you feel equipped and and encouraged to to build bridges with people, to, to be rubbing shoulders with your mates and family members who don't know about Jesus. But also we'll, we'll run an organized event or a course. It, it spills out into our children's and youth. You know, we're, we're going into a round of recruitment for uh, a new family's children's and youth coordinator. Uh, that's important. That's, that's organized. But also the, the organic says that the primary discipleship of our children is in the home. It spills out into our prayer life. Is that the, the organic says we, we want to be praying every day, spending time with God every single day. But organized, we'll also put on church on the Sundays. We'll also put on the occasional prayer event. Organic and organized, held hand in hand. Coming back to caring for the vulnerable, there's one more thing that Paul really has a flavor of here and, is, and that is this, not only is it organic and organized, but it requires the managing of limited resources. Anna was up here a few minutes ago talking about the, uh, 
the government branch that she works for needing to care well for people, but with limited resources all the time, right? And it's kind of like this same thing for the church. Uh, notably, in 1 Timothy, throughout the, the chapters uh, surrounding our passage tonight, particularly the rest of uh, chapter 5 as we move on to that next week and a bit of chapter 6, a real big thing for Paul as he gets some organization into the early church is that finances do not go far enough to meet every single perceived need. The finances of the church at the time do not go far enough to meet every single need. If you're a family living in Kempston right now and you're on universal credit, you'll be receiving roughly about £120 a week, roughly. For a family. Now, as a parent, you've got to think about with that limited resource, there's some got to go on food, there's some got to go on bills, there's some got to go on clothes, there's some got to go on school, school trips or school bits and pieces. You, you might give a portion to charity or to church. You've got to think about as a parent, how do I, how do I support this family? How do we take care of this family with limited resources? And for the, for the early church, as Paul writes to Timothy, they were experiencing limited resources with, with finances and with time and with people. And frankly, the church hasn't changed in 2022 years, has it? <laughs> uh, and as we see in the Bible, and as we see practically in our time now, it's not possible with limited resources to help every single presented case of every single perceived need. Can I say that again just so you hear me rightly? With limited resources, it's not possible to help every single presented case with, of every single perceived need. My wife's a doctor. She used to work in A&E. Uh, Julia, who was, who was up here reading the Bible, she, she works in the, in the emergency services. And uh, they will tell you that at the moment, uh, triaging uh, is really, really important. Uh, every single person through the door of a doctor's surgery or through A&E or everyone who picks up the 999 call, they, they, they need triaging. You go to the most urgent and important first and People have prioritized based on the need, the genuine need of the person, the emergency, the urgency of it. And in a way, Paul is, is giving us a slight triaging system in an example with this particular vulnerable group. Uh, have a look at uh, verse 16, where he says, If any woman who is a believer has widows in her care, she should continue to help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. It's like triaging thing here. So it starts with the family. The church goes to the people who are particularly in need. Verse 9. No widow must be put on the list. We'll talk about the list in a minute. No widow may be put on a list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband. Verse 10 goes into some more kind of qualifications. Well known for good deeds etc., etc. You can read them for yourselves. But essentially, Paul is putting in some sort of qualifications and, if you like, boundaries 
to help triage the level of need. Again, in verse 11, it says, As for younger widows, don't put them on such a list. Uh, and again, a few reasons for that. But he, he's triaging, he's, he's kind of giving, he's giving qualifications and, and boundaries so that the church supports those most in need, supports those who are supportable. I think that's important for us to take note of. As, as this church family uh, cares for vulnerable people in an organic and organized way, with limited resources, we're to be aware of some of the things and some of the parameters that, that Paul is advising for that time and place with that vulnerable group of people and recognize what our own abilities are. Having said that, Care for vulnerable people is an absolute priority to Paul. This is, this is an imperative from Paul, not an optional extra. This is an imperative for churches, not an optional extra. Of the vulnerable and the, the most needy in need people are, are not an afterthought. Uh, it's not an afterthought to care for people like this, but it's, it's the right thing to do. It's not simply do we feel like it, but it's a, it's a moral right and wrong because vulnerable people are really, really valuable. And if we can just spend a brief few minutes on this second chunk of that sentence we looked at earlier, the church is like a family when it values the vulnerable we won't spend too long here. It's warm for a start. But the church is like a family when it values the vulnerable people. Vulnerable people to the church are not a, a, I know it uses literally the word burden, so watch out. But they're not, it's not a sense of burden like, oh, really? Do we have to look after vulnerable people as well? It's, it, vulnerable people aren't just a sad charity case. It's not how we see it. We, we, we value vulnerable people. We care for vulnerable people because they are so loved by God who created us. There is no sense here over this particular vulnerable group of people, the widows. There is no sense here that, oh, they're just done. Just take care of them until they're gone. Just... Like a bad smell, ignore it, and no one will talk about it. There's no sense that they're sort of done. What is, what is this list, this list that Paul talks about? Verse 9, verse 11, we've already touched on it. What is this list? Well, there's a couple of different commentators who talk about the list differently. I think the most interesting and, and compelling and most reasonable argument is that this list is a list of those vulnerable people who are committing to serve the church family. It's a list of widows in their vulnerability, in their situations, who are, who are committing to get involved with serving and, and, and committing to the church family. Let me take a, this a little deeper on another example and say there's, a, there's an age limit put on here in verse 9. No widow must be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60. What's that doing there? Don't get hung up on the age 60. It's not like 59 years old is anything different. Wait till your birthday and then you're 60, you're on the list. It's, it's not that. It's, in the ancient world, 60, that decade of 60 was, was seen as like the 
age at which you have something to really impart back into the younger generations. So rather than this people group being like, let's just take care of them until they're on the way out. No, this is a, in the ancient world, this is a people group who have loads to give. Who we, we really value as like a, like a spiritual mother in the church or a spiritual father or a spiritual grandparent. This is the age at which you have time to really invest in, in prayer for people around you in your church. This is the time at which all your, your decades of life wisdom can now be imparted in the people who you are doing life organically with side by side. This is, a, this is a stage and stage in life where you are able to perhaps have a load of output now and disciple the younger women in your church family. Does this sound like anybody at Grace? It's not just the ancient world. It's what we're living now, isn't it? Can I tell you that if you, if you are of an older generation and you're feeling a bit like your best years are gone, this passage says to you, God has a massive usefulness for you. That God wants to use you still. God wants to use you in your season. And that you are treasured in this church family. And you are so valued and needed. Please, would you be our spiritual mothers and fathers and spiritual grandparents. Perhaps you, uh, perhaps you have other needs. Perhaps you have other vulnerabilities that aren't in this passage, aren't in the things that we've particularly touched on. But you know that you have a vulnerability. You know that you have a need. Listen, the message of this passage, the message I hope of what we speak about this evening loud and clear is that you are not a burden to look after. Yes, we want to look after people well. But not out of a chore or law, but out of, out of that good Samaritan love. Out of, out, of, out of a love because you are valued, you are useful, and you have something to offer. Listen to this. This list, whatever it was, we can know for sure that this, this list was of people who committed themselves to a church family despite and through and with their vulnerabilities. This was a people group who would would get alongside each other and, and be committed to family with each other through their vulnerabilities and needs. And situations. Does that sound like you? Does that sound like you know, you know you, gee, you haven't touched on any of the, my particular situations, but I know that I have needs, I know that I have vulnerabilities. This passage says you are valued and loved and needed and wanted. Can you commit yourself to usefulness even with your vulnerabilities and needs and situations? Let's finish here with the question of why bother? Why bother? Uh, when I was uh, nine years old, I was given 
in the 90s, we had these wristbands, and they were cloth, and they had a little bit of rubbish plastic, which always broke, and you used to put the, thread it through, and uh, it came on all different colours. Mine one was dark red. I love it. I wish I still had it. In fact, I looked on eBay to see if you could get them. They're so expensive now. I don't know why, though, cloth and plastic. But on it were the white printed letters, WWJD. Ah, not the only one who had them. What would Jesus do? And it was a reminder for every time and situation. What would Jesus do? And as you look at the Bible, as you look at Jesus' life, you see time and time again him going towards the most vulnerable and towards the most needy, towards the most exposed. It's beautiful. What would Jesus do? He would care for and value the vulnerable. He would give them protection and provision. We, as his body now here on earth, we want to represent him well. We want to model him well. Our, our tagline for the church, if you like our kind of mission statement for the church, is to, to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To know Jesus and make Jesus known. And as we care for the vulnerable and valuable the, value the vulnerable, we, we, we know Jesus we make Jesus known. Think about those, those, those three stories of three people who, who came into the church, see how we look after each other as a family and go, I'm going to give Jesus a shot. We want people to come under his care and protection. We want people to come and, and know about him because he's the ultimate provider and protector. If there's a church and a community we can provide you know, real provision and, and protection for the most vulnerable, well, flip and heck, let's just please let that point to Jesus and say that he is the good Samaritan. That wasn't just a good example for us to follow. He was pointing us to himself as the good Samaritan, the ultimate protector and provider over us, the spiritually vulnerable and needy. Do you feel spiritually vulnerable this evening? At all? Do you feel spiritually in debt? Do you feel spiritually hungry? Do you feel spiritually needy whatsoever? Can I plead with you to come to Jesus because he is the ultimate provider and protector for all your deepest spiritual needs. The the ancient culture in which this was written had no answer for the protection and provision for their their material needs. In our culture, has no answer for the deep spiritual needs that we have. The, The need for hope, and peace and purpose and protection and provision on a deep spiritual level. Come to the protector and the provider. Come to the good Samaritan and let him care for the spiritually vulnerable. Let him value you as the spiritually vulnerable. Let him care for and value you. Thanks, Graham.